good morning, and uh, thank you, Lowell, for your stories. And uh, his stories actually relate to the sermon, uh, because he was uh, talking about the past. This morning I'm preaching from, from Philippians 3, which, uh, which talks about pressing forward and uh, I think the King James says, forgetting the past, which Lowell did not do, and we'll talk about why that was still okay somewhere along the way here. So we are in the first month of a new year, and and I wonder if you've made any uh, New Year's resolutions, I think is the term for or thought about how you want to live this year, or if you haven't done those things exactly, perhaps you've thought about whether the direction of your life and the target you are aiming at will take you to the goal you want to reach. I think most people have goals, and the question is, are they good goals? And there's a proverb, I think, that goes something like this, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. And uh, maybe another proverb could be something like, if you aim at something, you might hit it some of the time. Uh, In Philippians 3, Paul says he is aiming at something, and uh, he tells us, that his supreme goal is to pursue knowing Christ. That that's that's the most important thing to aim at. Pursue knowing Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection and be conformed to his death. He says that's his goal. And he also says that he hasn't uh, achieved the goal yet fully. He's not arrived at the goal, and he pursues this goal, presses towards the mark. And he also tells us in Philippians 3 what he has to leave behind in order to reach the goal. And and the, the things that he leaves behind, he presents them as things that he has to uh, let go, a grasp on, so that he can grasp this thing that is his goal. So leave something behind and press forward to something ahead. And this really is what what life involves. And especially in spiritual things, when we think about growth, we, we have to leave our present place or position or attainment. And and step out uh, towards something that's that's new and different. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. So 
I'm, I'm reading from Philippians 3, 2 to 16, and I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. And it says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in flesh. Although I myself could boast as having confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he is confident in the flesh, I have more reason. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them mere rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith, and the New American Standard says faith in Christ, which I believe should read faith of Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude, and if in anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that to you as well. However, let's keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And so this morning, I want to talk about leaving some things behind and pressing forward to, towards some things that are ahead. So, leaving things behind. Uh, the idea is taken from verse 13, uh, where Paul makes the statement that he does not consider himself to have reached the goal, but what he is doing is forgetting what lies behind and reaches forward to what lies ahead. And uh, I think the context is important because that statement is made in the context of 
asked him to contrast the value of his heritage and religious tradition and human attainments with the value of knowing Christ. There's a contrast here. So in verses 3 to 7, Paul lists the advantages, supposed advantages, from a human point of view. And, and in verse 2, he says, beware of the dogs. Which is, um, that's really a stark way to say something. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evildoers and beware of false circumcision, which I think in the King James says the mutilators. So the dogs, the dogs are the Jews uh, who hounded him. Now, I hope you can appreciate that picture. The dogs are the Jews who hounded him. They literally chased him on foot from one city to the next like a dog does a deer. When he was on his missionary journeys, they did this all the time, but they did it because he would talk about the Gentiles being able to become uh, followers of Jesus, members of, of Abraham's family of faith, through the death and resurrection of Christ, by trusting in Christ's death and resurrection. And, uh, and Paul would say they can do this and be a member of the family of God, even if they're not circumcised. And so that's why the dogs uh, were chasing Paul. So he brings that up. And then the false circumcision means uh, those who mutilate themselves or require others to mutilate themselves uh, without heart. So, the rather crass way to say that, the way he's saying it, would be that they operate on their bodies, but do not let God operate on their hearts. So, in verse 3, in contrast to the mutilators, uh, Paul presents followers of Christ as the true circumcision. They are the ones who have been truly circumcised. And, and notice three things that he says about a, a truly circumcised person. So we can, we can measure ourselves against these three things. He says these people worship God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And second, they glory in Christ Jesus. And third, they have no confidence or they do not place their hope in the flesh. Um, meaning, their hope does not depend on earthly privileges, human attainments, or religious accomplishments. So their hope is resting on Jesus. It's established on Jesus, on his death and resurrection. Not only on his personal death and resurrection, but on their death and resurrection with Jesus. This is what 
what he goes on to explain. So, three characteristics of a truly circumcised person is they worship God in the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they glory in Christ Jesus, which is, I don't know, that's like saying they are all carried away and totally um, enthused about and infatuated with Jesus Christ. And they don't have any confidence uh, in the flesh and their hope is in Jesus not on human attainments or human ability. Then in verses 4 to 6, Paul lists these earthly privileges or attainments that he had. Uh, They are, uh, well, he, he gives them not because he doesn't have them, but he gives them because he does have them. Uh, and so he's not, he's not jealous of them. Um, so they are that circumcised the eighth day, a Jew by birth. He's not a proselyte. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, which uh, I'm not sure what means, what that means. Maybe both parents are Jews, or maybe it has to do with being able to speak uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. And uh, actually, this is a side note, but I, if I'm not mistaken, Paul knew perhaps 12 to 15 languages. Uh, I, I think some people uh, feel like Paul might have been really an extremely intelligent person and uh, very skilled. So he was a Pharisee, uh, which was the most orthodox party, the most zealous supporter of the law, and he was very zealous, he says, in promoting Judaism and condemning Christians, uh, even willing to hunt them down, um, and meticulous in his observance of the law. Now, my side note here is that it's interesting to me that, that uh, Paul had not forgotten his past. And uh, Lowell hasn't forgotten his past. And most of us haven't forgotten our past, except sometimes we forget things, and even things about the past. But uh, this is not a call. Paul is not making a call to get your history or forget that you lived in um, the right way to remember the past. But it, it's something to depend on it and the glory in it. So, in verses 7 to 11, he contrasts the value of these past accomplishments with the value of knowing Christ. The point is the contrast. And he says that he counts all these supposed gains as of no value when compared to the value of Christ. And he says that knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, is far superior in value to all the earthly privileges, human attainments, and religious accomplishments that he just listed. In comparison, these human advantages, he, he says they are like garbage. I think the King James says dumb, which is a pile of manure. But it's something like table scraps. 
that are fed to the dogs. And Paul says the loss of these things is really no loss at all. It's no loss. They don't have that much value. And at the end of verse 8, Paul says that by counting all these past accomplishments as having no value, Paul will be able to win Christ. He'll be able to gain or obtain or possess Christ. So there's a picture there of um, having something that we might value, but if we let it go, we will be able to um, gain something better. So Paul says in verse 9 that talks about what it means to gain or win Christ. So he says to gain Christ means to be found in Christ. To be in a to be in a be found in Christ relationship. I don't know how to say that in English. To gain or win Christ is to be in a be found in Christ relationship. And he says that this kind of relationship with Christ is not the result of his own righteousness, his own attainment, his earthly privilege, his religious accomplishment. Instead, it's rooted in, and this is kind of technical language here, he says it's rooted in the faith of Christ by faith. So I want to camp here a little bit. When Paul says he can be found in Christ through the faith of Christ, he is not talking about his faith in Christ. When Paul says that his righteousness can be found in Christ through the faith of Christ, he does not mean his own faith in Christ. The faith of Christ and our faith in Christ are two different things. So by faith of Christ, he's talking about the personal faithful faithfulness of Christ. His righteousness is rooted in the personal faithfulness of Christ. He's saying that our righteousness is the result of Christ's faithfulness and obedience throughout life and in death. And the righteousness that justifies is rooted in the personal faith life, faith death, faith resurrection of Christ. It's not rooted in becoming a Jew, and it's not rooted in keeping the law. It's in the faithfulness of Christ. So the righteousness of Christ that delivers us from God's judgment is rooted in Christ's faithfulness in his own life to the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Father's faithfulness to his promises and to his Son. And this faithfulness of Christ and the faithfulness of the Heavenly Father to his promises and to his Son is the reason God raised Christ from the dead. So to restate, we can be found in Christ through the faithfulness of Christ, that he was faithful, that he is who he is. 
But then at the end of verse 9, Paul says that this founding Christ relationship is also the result of faith in Christ. So our faith in Christ, so we have both of these then in this, in this passage. This verse is saying that both Christ's faithfulness and our personal faith in Christ are necessary for us to experience this found in Christ relationship. So in this verse, Paul is contrasting my own righteousness, I'm backing up and summarizing, and he's contrasting my own righteousness, which is of the law, with a through the faith of Christ's righteousness that is of God. It has its source in God, not human, attainment, and it is received by faith. We enter into this relationship by faith. And it's a righteousness that has its source in God and is received by trusting God. And this is more valuable. More valuable than any human attainment. Then in verse 10, Paul says that a found in Christ relationship is rooted in knowing Christ. And this verse explains in more detail what the knowledge of Christ mentioned in verse 8 means. So, in verse 8, the word knowledge is translated from a Greek word, gnosis. And the know in verse 10 is translated from a related word, gnosko. So, gnosis and gnosko. And um, they have the same root. And the meaning of these words is knowledge that is known within an intimate relationship. That's the meaning of the word. And so what Paul is talking about is when we know Christ, we have an intimate relationship with Him. And so it's within this intimate relationship that we know the will of Christ and we it's within the sense of intimate relationship that we gain knowledge of Christ, gain knowledge of the will of Christ, and gain strength to be faithful in the midst of life, which he now talks about in the verses that follow. So in verse 10, Paul says that a found in Christ relationship makes the power of Christ's resurrection available to the believer. When you have this kind of intimate relationship, then that brings you into connection with the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. But if you think about that, that's a lot of power. Okay? Now, this is not talking, first of all, about uh, being raised from the dead sometime in the future from the grave. It's talking about being raised from the dead in our personal lives, daily life. And the idea is uh, similar to 
and more fully developed, I believe, in Romans 6, 3 and 4, which read, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the midst of life. And, and uh, I promise you that Brother Leon knows those verses by heart. Because they are the verses that, are, that he quotes every time someone is baptized. And we've all heard these verses, and, the, and we've... Um, We've all claimed these verses, at least with our tongue. They're familiar. I believe baptized into Christ happens when a person enters into relationship with Christ, or when a person becomes a believer, is regenerated. The person who is baptized into Christ is placed in and identified with Christ. And, and in, in Romans 6 and here, I think he's talking about a co-buried and co-raised experience. Uh, something that God, an operation that God performs in us, on us. And, which I'm not going to try to explain how he does this, but a, a spiritual experience. An operation of God. We we are we we Christ dies us and raises us. Um, so we have died and been buried, and we have been raised in this experience with Christ. This means that the person who is baptized into Christ experiences the same death to sin and resurrection to life in his or her body or person that Christ experienced in his own body or flesh as a human and divine. So the person who is in Christ is now in a position and reality of life, not death. And stands in a position and walks in a lifestyle of life and righteousness on resurrection ground because that's his place and that's his relationship with Christ and that's the experience and this is what God can work in us. So God begins to work this death and resurrection in our bodies, in our persons at the time of conversion when we surrender to Christ and God continues to work this death to sin and resurrection to righteousness inside us every time we surrender to Christ in the moment of trial or in the moment of temptation. This is what God intends to do. And it is within these moments of life and this dying and rising and surrender process that we actually um, are it's within all of that experience that we are pursuing this goal of being more, knowing Christ better, and experiencing His resurrection. 
In verse 10, Paul also says that the person who is in a found in Christ relationship will know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and be made conformable unto his death. So, this is kind of a difficult idea because nobody likes to think that that the way to life, the way to be resurrected is to die or suffer. I mean, there's one thing sure, we hate to suffer. And most of us will do anything we can to avoid it. Uh, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I don't know. Uh, I've been to uh, South Boston several times the last couple of months, maybe five or six. And I think every time I go down 501, around that curve where um, Granddaddy and Alvin had the wreck, um, I think about it. And um, it sometimes I think about what this might be like to um, be trapped in a truck and can't get out and there's a fire. And um, honestly, this is about more than I can. I can't hardly think about that without, I think, the word would be dissociating. Uh, fortunately, um, somehow God knows how to be with people even in that. Um, this idea of suffering and affliction. So this is the same idea that we have in Philippians 1, 29, which says that those who believe in Christ will suffer for his sake. And uh, Colossians 1, 24 says believers, King James, I think, says uh, they fill up that which is behind of the affliction of Christ, which is not normally how we talk, but it means that Christ suffered for the sake of righteousness during his life and on the cross, and all those who are in fellowship with Christ likewise suffer for the sake of righteousness. And Christ never promised that people... Um, trust him will be exempt from human suffering. And in his suffering as a result of fellowship with Christ, according to that verse in chapter 1, is a continuation and completion of the suffering of Christ. Like, he did not suffer everything that believers will suffer. And, and believer suffering is just a continuation of the kind of suffering the phrase being made conformable unto his death expands, I think, on the previous phrase, another fellowship of his suffering. And it's not talking about physical death, but about identifying so fully with the death and resurrection of Christ that Christ's death 
works death in us to sin to the former life, and death to the attainment that Paul possessed by to depend on. But their values uh, must die. Uh, they, they, we cannot see them as being as valuable as Christ. Um, so, to attain unto the resurrection, I believe, means two things to attain to a final resurrection and to attain to a resurrection to new life in our present life. Okay, all of that is about the past. So now he talks about pressing towards those, pressing towards the future. And in verse 12, he begins by saying that he is not fully attained to the objective he mentioned in verses 10 and 11 of being made like Jesus in death and experiencing resurrection from the dead in relation to temptation and trials. And he's not saying, I have not experienced any of that. He's saying, I've not fully experienced this. I haven't fully reached the goal. He says he's not already perfect. Okay? So we have to talk about that a little bit. The word perfect does not mean sinless perfection. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, I haven't reached sinless perfection. Uh, the idea of the word is that uh, he hasn't reached the goal or the end. The goal for which he was designed. And he's not experienced to the fullness what he has described as the result of knowing Christ. And, and the reality is not a single person, not a one of us, no one except Jesus, has reached or seized the goal or fullness of who God created us to be in its fullness. We are all in the process of pursuing this goal and being transformed into, uh, I think, one place in Corinthians, uh, into the uh, image of Christ, I think is the King James term, which is talking about the character of Christ. So even though he's not reached full maturity or experienced fully what is available to him in his found in Christ relationship, Paul says he's going to follow after. Uh, and the idea is pursue. He's going to pursue this goal. He's going to pursue the end for which uh, he was created, the end that God has in mind. He's not going to give up. He's not going to return to the old way of depending on earthly privileges, human attainments, religious accomplishments. And he says he's going to press on or pursue in order to apprehend. And the word apprehend has the idea of seize, lay hold of, or possess as his own, that for which he has been possessed or seized by Christ. And uh, this is really a beautiful concept, that Christ seized us, laid hold of us, pursued us, so that, uh, 
all these things so that he could pursue, speed earnestly without that hand. Uh, so, so the picture is the outstretched arm and outstretched hand, and he is running toward this goal to seize it. So he has been seized by Christ so that he can see Christ. He's pursuing so that he can see the grass or lay hold of and experience full, full maturity. Experience these found in Christ's benefits. He's going to pursue them and make them his own. So in verse 13, uh, Paul restates what he has said in verse 12, that he's not yet seized everything that his found in Christ's relationship offers, but he is fully committed to this one thing, to forget those things that are behind and reach for and seize the things that are before or ahead. So again, the forgetting is not talking about erasing from memory our past events. Uh, I think some of our past events uh, need to be remembered. Uh, and um, and uh, people forgiven. Uh, we may need to forgive people and we may need to ask forgiveness to have a release from guilt or shame about past events. Uh, that's a whole other subject. Uh, but it's not, it's not primarily talking about forgetting past events. It's talking about not, not uh, dwelling on and, and uh, holding them as having value. These human earthly privileges and human attainments and religious accomplishments. It's not placing the value on them, the value that Christ has. He's not going to depend on the past and depend on those things for his spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. He is going to focus on and reach toward the maturity and fullness of spiritual experience that Christ has in store for him, which includes the resurrection power of Christ and sharing in the uh, sufferings of Christ and being made like Christ in his death and resurrection and being able to live in temptations and trials the way Jesus did. Um, so he's pressing toward the mark or goal or prize to which God is calling him in Christ. And then the last two verses here, verses 15 and 16, are they're rather interesting. Because so all of us who are mature or perfect, all those who are pursuing the goal of spiritual maturity, should have this attitude that we have not yet achieved full spiritual maturity, and if in any respect you have a different attitude than that one, well, if you do have a different attitude, God will make that clear to you. Okay, I will show you if, you're, if you don't have the right thought about this, he's going to show you. <laughs> okay. 
only let us stay true to what we have already attained, which seems to me a little ambiguous. But. So in order to pursue full maturity and know and experience Christ's death and resurrection, you must press toward the goal of knowing Christ more deeply. And in order to do this, you have to let go of hanging on to what you have already attained and reach forward to seize what lies ahead. And this is the attitude Paul is talking about. And if you don't have this kind of attitude, God will show you and work so that you do have the right attitude. I really like Paul's uh, positive attitude there. God will do this. And as we move forward, don't forget to live what you have already learned on the journey. And don't forget um, the commitment you've made to seize everything for which you were seized. So a few summary comments here. Uh, A major hindrance, I believe, to knowing Christ more fully and experiencing death to sin and resurrection to upright living is hanging on to and grasping earthly privileges, human attainments, and religious accomplishments. Whatever you're hanging on to and grasping and seizing right now makes it impossible for you to lay hold of and grasp and seize something else. That is a principle. There might be something better that God offers to us, but we can't receive it. We can't grasp that when we are grasping something else. You can't seize something else until you let go of what you already have seized and are clutching. One thing that hinders progress in our is our commitment to the familiar, to what feels safe and secure, our commitment to the past, or to present habits, or human attainment, or commitment to our vows to live a safe life, or, or not to let our flesh, fleshly desires die. All these kinds of commitments Uh, they, they hinder pursuit of this goal. Not only did Paul have to release his grasp on past earthly privileges, but he also had to release his grasp on his failure. And this is perhaps a side note, but uh, he was known in the early church as a most notorious persecutor of Christians, but he still mentioned it. Like Lowell did in his story when he mentioned, yeah, <clears throat> so Lowell, yeah, we've all had our little bangs and collisions up there a few. And uh, they're somewhat embarrassing. They can be, but uh, there's a call to um, gain the right perspective about even things we failed at. We have to let go of our guilt and shame, even, for our past sins, sins that we committed, sins committed against us. 
I believe Jesus died and rose again to deliver us from, from even our past failures that hinder us from moving forward. Because they keep us from becoming fully who God created us to be. Paul is also very clear that to be a found in Christ, to, to be in a be found in Christ relationship and position depends on this thing of the faithfulness of Christ and our faith in Christ. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit knows you. Knows who you were created to be. Knows who you will be when you reach the goal. When you reach full spiritual and emotional maturity, which I believe will be in heaven. But this is what we are called to pursue. And this is the goal God is working for. And whatever you do, this is my appeal, whatever you do, do not give up on God's goal for you. Don't settle for something less than God's intention and purpose for you. This is His goal. But pursue God's goal in the power of the resurrected Jesus and not in your own power. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that we are in your mind and heart and in your intentions. You do have intentions for each of us. And your goal is to transform us into someone that we are not yet. But in your mind and heart we are. I pray that you would give us hope in you and courage and and working us the energy to pursue this goal of knowing you more fully and experiencing the power of your resurrection and uh, and uh, and experiencing death to sin and resurrection to life in our daily lives in the moment of temptation and trial. I pray you would bless each one here with with uh, this attitude and working us the will we want to and and the doing of of your good purposes 